Oak Star Bank is now online and on your phone, ready to serve you with our easy-to-use digital and mobile banking. Check your balances, manage your accounts, transfer funds, or chat with our Experience Center. Right from your desk, your couch, your lounger by the pool, you get the idea. To get started, visit oakstarbank.com or download the app from the Apple Store or Google Play. Oak Star Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. forevermore and a day is coming and nothing can stop it and every tongue will confess that he's the lord he's the king he's the judge of all the earth and even now as we stand here all of heaven is shouting shouting out worthy is the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world so we say who is like him who is like this god surely there is none there is none like him. So we worship, so we bow down, so we sing. to make. Howard Bullock is looking for some more van drivers and if you're taking the experience in God studied right now and you're looking for a place where God is working in this church, think about helping him out. Uh, 
And also, I have another announcement. At 6.30 Monday evening at uh, subdivision of, what's that subdivision? West Point. At uh, 6, 6.30, uh, Pastor Pat has a small truck that he needs to get unloaded, and his address is 214 Northwest 46 Road. And if you have two good hands and like to make sure he sticks around a while, go out there and help him unload. I am the deacon of the week, and I will try to help you any way I can. You get in touch with me, and my name is Roy Bachelet, and I'm on the board up there. But if you call me real late at night and have an emergency, I want you to remember, God tells me I have to love you and forgive you always. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I just pray this morning that as born-again believers who have the Holy Spirit in their lives, that we will give the Holy Spirit control of our thoughts and our emotions every day, Lord, when we wake up. And I just pray, Lord, also that if you're here and you have never asked Jesus Christ into your life to be the Lord of your life, I pray that if you would rather spend eternity in heaven instead of hell, that whenever it comes to time to go forward at the end of our service and make a commitment, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day that you decide that you would want to do that. And I just pray, Lord, that as we are taking the experience in God in this church right now in a study, that this whole church will grow spiritually from that, Lord. And I just want to thank you for Jesus Christ and what he means to us, Lord. I ask these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Our uh, gospel reading is John 3, 1 through 17, the story of Nicodemus. Now there is a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs that you are doing if God was not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at what I am saying. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, 
the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may enter eternal life with him. That, <clears throat> excuse me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. This is the word of the Lord. The splendor of the King. time just the voices how great is our god sing with me how great is our god and all will see how great 
I see the work of your hands. Galaxy spinning a heavenly dance, oh God, all that you are is so overwhelming. And I hear the sound of your voice, all
our psalm reading this morning. Let's read it aloud, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he watches over Israel with neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Psalm 121. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless? In awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. Sun in all of its brilliance, 
Amen. You may be seated. Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Exodus chapter 3. The book of Exodus is all about God being a savior. The book of Exodus is all about God uh, taking the initiative to rescue his people out of Egyptian slavery. And yet, as we've been talking about experiencing God, God rarely chooses just to do things. God delights to use us. God delights to use his people. So God chooses this man, Moses. And we talked last week in Exodus 1 about the situation into which Moses was born. Uh, Moses was born a slave. His parents were slaves, Egyptian slavery. The, the king had just decreed one day all the Hebrews, all the Israelites are going to be slaves. Not only is Moses born a slave, but he is born a boy under a death sentence. Now, the Pharaoh had said, listen, any baby boys that are born, we got to slow down this multiplication issue with the Israelites. And so if a baby boy is born, I want you to put him in the Nile River. Now, ironically, Moses' parents do exactly that. But they don't throw Moses in the Nile that he would, be, uh, that he would die. They put Moses in, in a, a waterproof basket kind of right down by the edge of the Nile, sort of. Where the, lo and behold, uh, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe. And so in God working there in the midst of that, Moses, this Hebrew baby boy, is discovered by the daughter of the king of Egypt. And Moses is brought into her household. He's raised as a prince of Egypt, but there is absolutely Hebrew blood flowing through his veins. Exodus 2 then jumps to when Moses is an adult. And it tells this story. Moses goes out one day to where the slaves are working. And, and he's wrestling with, man, these are my people, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm Egyptian. I mean, where do I fit into all this? And he sees an Egyptian slave master just beating the tar out of one of God's people. And he loses it. He kills the slave master, buries him in the sand, and hopes like maybe nobody saw that. Maybe nobody will notice that guy is missing. Well, it's not too long before Moses' secret gets out. And, and so Moses runs. I mean, he gets out of there. Now, usually murderer is not on the resume of the people that you would think of God using mightily. But our sin never has to be the end of our story. And so God has a plan for Moses anyway. God runs he, hundreds of miles. He goes to the land of Midian, and, and God blesses him there. He meets a woman. He ends up with a wife. He has a son. And, and so 40 years have gone by with him in Egypt. Now 40 more years have gone by. And at the beginning of chapter 3, Moses is an 80-year-old senior adult at a normal day of work just looking at sheep, walking around in the wilderness of Midian. And all of a sudden, a very random place becomes an extremely purposeful place. This morning's message is entitled, Meet Your Maker. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. 
Now Moses was tending the the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, Lord, we, um, sooner or later, we're all going to meet our maker, Father. Lord, we're either going to meet him not knowing Christ and stand before him in judgment, or we're going to meet you knowing Christ who is the I am. And so, God, today, as we walk through this passage, Father, as we continue, Lord, to to look at these sermons and think about what it fully means for us to be people who know you and who walk with you, people who are saved by you but also are living following you, Lord, in, in a phrase, people who are experiencing you. So, God, today, speak through your word. Please, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back to verse 1. We're going to look at three things today that God did the day that Moses met his maker. Three things God did the day that Moses met his maker. Number one, let's not overthink this. God appeared, right? God appeared. And so verse 1, on this particular day, Moses is out with the sheep. I mean, again, he's in the middle of nowhere. He's on the backside of the wilderness. But it's about to become a very significant place. The text tells us that Moses uh, came to Mount Horeb. And then it tells us this is the mountain of God. 
Now, that's Moses thinking back on this. At this point, it's not that special of a place. Mount Horeb, uh, you may know it by the better known name, Mount Sinai. This is, this is the place where God's people will worship. This is the place where God will give Moses the Ten Commandments. And so God appears in this burning bush. And look at verse 2. It uses this phrase, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, this phrase is used some 70 times uh, throughout Scripture. It, it appears, especially in, in the Old Testament, when God appears. Now, angels are messengers of God. But this particular phrase, the angel of the Lord, it, it seems to carry some extra weight, right? And, and you'll notice in this passage, the angel of the Lord is said to be God. And so some theologians have been like, Man, this might be a pre-Christmas, like, appearance of Jesus in a bush on fire. Like, this is incredible, right? And so God is appearing to Moses. Moses is in the very presence of God. Now, I've never been a shepherd, but I'm guessing that as you're leading a flock around, that you look around. And I'm thinking Moses was rather familiar with the desert shrubs of his day. He probably, you know, had been in that area enough. I mean, he probably knew every cactus and every shrub. And, I mean, he just knew all these things. But on this day, there's a particular shrub that, that sticks out a little bit to him. And the text, it's fascinating. Moses sees this bush, and it looks like it's on fire. But from where he's standing, like, there's no soot the bush is not burning, it's on fire, but the bush is still fine. Like, it's alive, and, and so there's no ash, there's no soot, there's nothing. Now, theories abound as to what Moses actually saw that day. And so people who try to explain away miracles will be like, well, you know, the sun was low on the horizon, and it just, you know, he was at the right angle. Or they'll be like, well, maybe there was a little volcano popped up or something. I mean, they'll come up with random stuff. Maybe it was lightning. Now listen, maybe I'm way uh, too simplistic here. I think the literal presence of the bright burning glory of God was burning in the bush. It was God in the bush. This is who it was. And, and so consumed with curiosity, Right? Moses is like, all right, now, now I'm curious. I need to see this thing. And so Moses turns aside. He begins to walk towards this thing he can't quite see. And just as an aside this morning, there's a great spiritual principle here when it comes to where God may be working around you. When you think that God may be at work and you're like, I wonder if that's an invitation for me to join God. Listen, do what Moses did. Turn aside and take a step towards it. That's the reason my family is in Clinton. Because it, we heard the word that God was at work here in you and among you. And, and that's awesome. That doesn't mean God's calling us here. But, but God kept doing something. And so all we did was took a step or two this direction to take a closer look. And that's when we began to hear God speaking and guiding in a different kind of a way. Now listen, as you turn aside to where God may be working, sometimes it's just a thing. Sometimes it's just a bush on fire, you know. But sometimes it is the leading of God, and you get to experience him. Now verse 4, right, Moses, he, he strolls up to this bush, he, and notice it's when he'd gone over to look. God, God responds to Moses, says, I'm going to check it out. And so when he'd gone over to look, now God speaks 
God speaks from the bush. And so it's like, Moses, Moses. And it's like, hey, man, it's a big day for you, Moses. Not only are you seeing this freaky bush, it knows your name, man. Like, it's, it's not like, hey, guy, Moses, Moses. The bush is talking, and it knows who he is. And so Moses is there, and he says in the words of many of God's servants throughout Scripture, here I am. Here I am. And, and God says, listen, don't come any closer in verse 5. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And listen, God is, is incredible in the way that he comes to us, but God is holy, and we are most definitely not. We talk a lot about God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy. It's the only attribute of God that's raised the power of three like that in Scripture. God's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. What does it mean that God is holy? Well, it means a couple things. First of all, it means he is perfect. He's completely perfect in everything that he does. He's pure in who he is. He's perfect in all he does. He is morally perfect. And yet God's holiness is not just his moral uprightness. It's not just his moral purity. But holiness means that he is set apart. Right now, the front row is a scary place to, to be, apparently. And so there's, I invited you to move forward, but only Kevin. This morning, Kevin is holy. Okay? Look, he's set himself, he's set apart. And so listen, now, in the illustration, the Lord's a whole lot further from us than we are just a row, right? And so, but the point is, God is altogether separate. He is, he's separate from his creation. He is unique. There is no one else like him. And even this whole illustration of a shepherd with barefoot, and this whole illustration of Moses' sinfulness and God's holiness, it's just a reminder that we are sinful people who serve a holy God. The Bible teaches that at the end of time that all of us will stand before God. If Moses had come closer, he would have died. Later in the same place, Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God says, I can't show it all or you will die. Right? It'll burn up. You can't handle the full glory of God. And yet Moses, like think about what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't go to the cross just so we can get a glimpse of God. He goes to the cross so we can have our sin so removed that we can be put into Christ, that we can be made right with God. On the cross, Jesus died to forgive our sin debt, to get rid of our sin. He rose again to make right with God anyone who will just simply say, I'm a sinner, and I want Jesus to be my Savior. God, I surrender my life to you. Verse 6 reminds us that what God's doing here is not random. It's, it's in line with some promises that he has already made. Verse 6 talks about God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and so the point is, the same God who spoke to those guys, those heroes, Moses, you've heard about, I'm the same God, and now I am speaking to you. Whatever God was getting ready to do here in Exodus, Moses is invited to be a part of it. Now, I'm guessing, I mean, I've never seen a burning bush. But Moses, I think, is just like, his mind's kind of blown. You know, and so he's kind of like, whoa, like, how's all this going to work? And, and, but I love it. Before God explains who he is, God first shows Moses who he is. 
There's a whole lot Moses learns about God before God ever really explains what he is doing. And so think about it. I mean, God is God. This is the only time in Scripture God appears to someone like this. God could have appeared to Moses any way he wanted to. Why a burning bush, Lord? What's the point in that? And so here's a couple things to think about. Get the image of this bush in your mind that is burning with the glory of God but not consumed. And here's just a few things that we see in that. The burning bush reminds us that God is powerful, glorious, eternally ongoing, and self-sufficient. Like the burning bush, God never runs out of fuel. He gets his things done without burning things up. His power never wanes. His glory never dims. His beauty never fades. He is God, and he is always all that he is. And and, and God's not even explained all he's going to do. But in the visual of the bush, we get this incredible idea. God appears to Moses. Secondly, this morning, God assigns. God appoints Moses. God gives Moses an assignment. We see God's compassion in verse 7. The Lord said, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. Now listen, the problem of evil in the world is a tough It's something we as Christians wrestle with. I mean, how God's all-powerful, but there's evil in the world. But, But here's what this passage reminds us. There's a lot of things we can't explain about what we go through and why we suffer. But God is not indifferent to our suffering. He he hears our our cries. He responds to our pleas. Now, on my timetable and to my preferences, God does not always respond as quickly as I wish he would. And he doesn't always do what I want him to. But he does Respond in a way that is ultimate good and for his glory and ultimately for our good. As he's working not just to make us happy, but to create in us holiness. To make us people who are holy. We see God's compassion. I I see you. I hear you. I'm concerned. In verse 8, I I love it. It almost feels like God kind of cracks his knuckles. You know, he's like, all right, now here's what I'm getting ready to do. He's coming down. God is stooping to rescue his people. And he's going to do, there's two parts of this. He's getting them out of Egypt, and he's going to bring them into this place called the promised land. We're told that it was flowing with milk and honey. That doesn't mean every time you sit in the promised land, you get sticky, right? It's a metaphor for this is a, listen, if you've ever wanted to raise crops or have a flock, this is going to be the greatest place on earth. The land of Canaan, the promised land, this is what God has promised Listen, our God is a savior. Our God is a deliverer. He is a rescuer. But here's what, the, the, we've got to remember this. Salvation for God's people and for us today, it's never just about not going to hell. It's so much bigger and better than that. God didn't just rescue them out of Egypt. That was the first move. The second move is, but I've got a life for them. I have a place for them, a place for them to live. And and for us as Christians, it's not just that, woo, you know, I've got my get out of hell free card. Well, praise God that we are saved from hell, but now let's live to see aspects of heaven come on earth. Let's live the life that God has called us to live. You know, this this idea here, and and again, I have an overactive imagination as you all will learn as we go. Uh, but when I think about this passage, for whatever reason, I always think about that old Robin Williams movie, Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, 
I've not seen it in a while, so I'm not recommending it. But in that movie, Robin Williams, he's estranged from his kids, and so he dresses up like a nanny, you know, and so he's Mrs. Doubtfire, and he's like seeing his kids, and it's, it's bizarre, right? And, and only Robin Williams could pull off that role. But there's this scene where they're in a restaurant, and, and, and one of the kids begins to choke, and they're like calling out for help. And Mrs. Doubtfire, a.k.a. Robin Williams, he's like coming, he's like hurdling chairs and tables, coming across the restaurant saying like, help is on the way, dear, help is on the way, you know. And for whatever reason, in verse 8, I hear God being like, Moses, listen, things are bad. Help is on the way, dear. Like, like help is coming. Like, this is our God who responds. Help is on the way. Now, pause. I think Moses at this point in the story is like, awesome. This sounds great. I mean, I'm so glad to be in the loop. Everything takes a very surprising turn at verse 10. Look at verse 10. I'm going to do all this, Moses. So now you. Now you go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And I think it's like a record scratch. Moses is like, what now? You know, me? And I love what God does here. I mean, this is God's assignment for Moses. And he's going to use Moses in this way. He's called Moses to this task. But we need to remember, God doesn't need us. Right? The whole symbolism of the burning bush is that God is self-sufficient. God technically doesn't need any of us to do anything that he does. He's perfectly capable to get anything done that he wants done. But in his plan, his desire is to do things through his people. And you may look in the mirror and say, well, God should have had a better plan than me. You don't get a vote, right? If you know Christ, you are God's plan. God wants to work through you to do these incredible things. I think about what, what Mo, God is saying here to Moses. Like, I'm, I'm sending you. And I just can't help but wonder if, like, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, I wonder if, if this passage, like, pops into Jesus' mind. I mean, Jesus gives us the Great Commission. God's call upon Moses' life reminds us that, that all of us have a mission. All of us have a mission to do. Uh, one author said this, each of us, it receives two callings, a call to salvation and then a call into ministry. Doesn't mean you stand at a pulpit or work at a church. We are all called to some aspect or aspects of serving the Lord. And so one author said this, each of us is called to serve the God of the burning bush. Whether we are preachers or postmen, bridge builders or homemakers, God has a work for us to do. Amen? So God appears, and then God assigns, and then number three might be my favorite, God assured. He appeared, he assigned, and then God assured. Look at verse 11. Moses, and there, there's some doubt here. There's some, he's feeling the weight of this task, and so he's like, uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And, and again, I, some people are really hard on Moses, but I, we're going to get later in this series to the crisis of belief. And I think God knows. He calls us to God-sized things. And so it's okay to be like, now how's all this going to work? And God is gracious enough to, like, he doesn't just be like, well, fine, then I'm done with you. Right? He enters into this conversation with Moses. Moses is like, Lord, I think you called the wrong number. 
Like, are you serious? Like, you want me to do, to do this? And I love uh, pastor author Louis Giglio has a book. And the title of the book is, I am not, but I know I am. Profound title. Think about it later, right? But here's a quote from the book, and I love it. Giglio says on the screen, God is always looking for normal people to play significant roles in his unfolding story. And given that he is God and supremely confident in himself, he is free to choose the least among us, the slowest, the lesser known, the last, the smallest, the poorest, to accomplish God-sized stuff. While as humans we try to partner with the brightest and the most powerful, God is simply looking for people who are willing to take him at his word. Now, this is by no means the only time Moses is going to struggle, right? He's going to struggle multiple times in this calling. But what I want us to see today is that God assures Moses in this passage, okay? And so think for yourself. If God is calling you to do a Moses kind of a thing, when God calls you and you're like, oh my goodness, I... Is that really from God? How would I even join God in that? How would I adjust my life to that? I don't even know where to start. If you're in that moment, ask yourself this question. When faced with a God-sized task, what would be the thing God could say to you that would most encourage you? Okay, God, what would be the thing if you're like, okay, Lord, like, and God's like, hey, listen, for me, it's the first five words God says in this next verse. I will be with you. Listen, last I checked, God and anybody makes a pretty good team. I will be with you. That doesn't answer all of Moses' questions, but it means God's not saying, Moses, here's the job. Go do it. Let me know how it goes. That's not how God calls us. God's like, listen, Moses, this is big. I'm going to be through you. And so how about if we just do this together, Moses? How about if I come with you and I be a part of this? And again, Matthew 28, I talked about the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples. Whatever you think a local church is about, it's got to be about the Great Commission to actually be a biblical local church. It's all about making disciples, reaching the lost, growing people in the Lord, loving God above all else, and then sending God's people out to tell people about how we got saved. Amen? How does the Great Commission end? Because you look at the Great Commission and go, this is a worldwide global mission. Whoa. And so the Great Commission ends with Jesus saying this. Listen. And lo, I am with you always. In the same way God promises us, I will be with you. Now notice the rest of verse 12. God says, this will be the sign to you, Moses, that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. The first week of this series, we were in Hebrews chapter 11, right? What is faith? Faith is adjusting your lives to something God has said, even if you can't see it yet. And so it's interesting. He's like, I want you to see something, but you're going to have to walk by faith to see it, Moses. And so remember, God is eternal. God's not guessing about whether they're going to worship at this mountain. God's eternal. He's outside of time. God's already there. Amen? He's there, and he's like, Moses, this is how it's going to be. And so God's saying, Moses, can you trust me? 
I'm speaking to you from a bush. Here I am. Can you trust me to do what I'm telling you I'm going to do? Moses, though, is not done asking questions. In fact, Moses is uh, just getting started with his questions. And again, some people are hard on him, but I'm a question asker. I ask a lot of questions. And so I kind of like, I kind of feel for Moses. He just wants to know, but I love, look at the beginning of verse 13. It's it's so, I don't know, it's funny because it's like, who says this? He's like, verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go. It's just funny. Who says suppose to God, right? We do sometimes, don't we? Well, God, let's, let's pretend like maybe I might obey you. Like, what would that actually look like, Lord? And so he's like, suppose I go to the Israelites. And so, again, the weight of this task, he's understanding this is huge. And he's like, listen, he's thinking this through. If I'm going to go to God's people and tell them that their God's going to rescue them, I need a better story than a talking shrubbery. Right? I need something a little stronger to go on here. And so he asked Moses for, he asked God for his name. And so in the Bible, I mean, if you are meeting somebody, right, what's one of the first things you do? You exchange names, right? In the Bible, names are a big deal. They, they communicate something about the person or the character. And so uh, Moses' name means uh, drawn out of water, right? He was rescued out of water. That's what Moses means. Jesus' name means that God saves. And so Moses asking God's name was like saying, okay, listen, suppose I go, who are you really? Like, who do I tell them sent me? And, and God answers, verse 14, this is incredible. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Clear as mud, right? What on earth does that mean? I am who I am. Now, on one hand, here's what is clear. God doesn't look backwards and say I was that I was. Neither does he look down the road and say, I will be what I will be. He says, I am who I am. God simply is. God says his name, his character, he just is, right? God is. He is who he is. He is the great I am. He's eternal. His name declares that he's unchanging, unending, ever-present. And I love this sentence. Who is God? Here's Here's a great sentence. God is who he is and always is who he is, and that's all there is to it. Right? God is who he is, and, and, and he just is, and that's all there is to it. Moses, this is who you say sent me, sent you. Now, knowing God's name was, was foundational to Moses. It was transforming for him. It, 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 it sort of grounded the call. It gave Moses something to go with. And, and as I mentioned even in my prayer earlier, this same God who spoke to Moses from the burning bush He's still revealing himself to people, amen? His name, his fullest revelation of himself is in the person, Jesus Christ. Now, some skeptics will say, and you may have heard this before, well, you Christians say that Jesus is God, but Jesus never actually claims to be God, okay? I think the gospel of John begs to differ, right? And so in John chapter 8, Jesus is in this pretty epic argument with these religious leaders about whether Jesus is the Christ. And he's like, listen, I am the Christ. And they're just not getting it. And so there comes this moment where Jesus says in John chapter 8, he says, listen, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, 
I am. God is claiming, Jesus in that moment in John 8 is claiming full equality and sameness with the God of the burning bush. I am. And if you're like, well, how do we know that? The religious leaders, when Jesus says, I am, they try to kill him for claiming to be God. So we can debate whether he claimed to be God, but his enemies in his day were like, oh, he's absolutely claiming to be God. Why did Jesus claim to be God? Because he is God. He is God in the flesh. Jesus is the eternal, self-sufficient, great I am of the burning bush. And so again, we'll continue to build on this each week. But the question for all of us as our worship teams comes, as the worship team comes, the question on the screen, every week it builds to this. What's your next step? And so today, as you think about God appearing, as you think about God assigning, as you think about God assuring and the way that he works with Moses, man, keep these three things in your heart as we continue through this experiencing God journey. If you're here today and you're already a follower of Christ, just surrender. If God's laying something on your heart, just surrender to what God's called you to do. Joey's going to be kind of over here and I'll be down front. We'd love a chance to talk with you this morning, to pray with you this morning. If it's a longer conversation, we can hang out for service for a few minutes and talk about it. But every time God's word is preached, every time that we, we hear the, the word, we should be saying, God, show me what my next step is. And then lastly, if you're here today and you don't yet know Christ, the Bible says that we are sinners, that we are dead in sin, separated from God, bound for an eternity in hell. But God so loved you that no matter what you've done, but before you even thought about doing all that you've done, God so loved that he demonstrated his love by dying on the cross for your sins. Jesus took all your sin and paid the price, but when you trust in him, then he takes your judgment and he gives you a right relationship with God. The Bible calls it the, the great exchange. The great exchange doesn't happen to us by accident. It doesn't happen automatically. Every soul in heaven is going to have to come to a place where they say, God, I am a sinner. I am in need of you to save me. And we just simply don't trust in our works. We don't trust in ourselves. We just throw ourselves on the grace and the mercy of God. If you've never made a decision like that, wow, I would love the chance to talk to you today. Today, God can move you from sinner to forgiven, from death to life, from darkness to light. Hey, pray for us this morning. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your truth, Father. Um, God, you are a God who is still guiding, um, shaping, revealing your will through your word, uh, through circumstances, through prayer, through the community of your church. Uh, Father, you are a God who is still uh, giving assignments, Lord. There are people, Father, um, in our church who, who before this series ever started have begun to adjust their lives to the things that you've laid on their hearts to do. And Father, in all that you call us to do, Father, thank you for going with us. Lord, thank you for never calling us to do anything that you don't intend to help us do. But Father, we've got to surrender, Lord, to have the strength we need and the discernment that we desire. Father, we just, we die to self. Father, we want to live and step with your spirit, God. And so for those who know you, God, this 
response as we stand is just whatever you want, God. Lord, for those who don't yet know you, Father, would you draw them to yourself in a saving way today. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. These altars are open for prayer. Pastors available. Let's stand as we respond to the Lord this morning.